God, our Father, we so look forward to the day when the age of death is done. And yet, we reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. And, and for those of us who believe, the age of life has begun even though we may have to transition unless the Lord comes first. Lord, we are honored that we can be together, honored that we can look into your word, that you would have given us your word to begin with, that we might have some notion of who you are, your goodness, your grace and your mercy. And we thank you for that. We give you praise. Do your name. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. So, Barbara loves Christmas lights. So we, we look at lights every year, as many of you do. They are beautiful, and, I, and I'm thankful to God that He's created our bodies in such a way that we can see these lights and enjoy them. And so Christmas lights, combined with our uh, text today, uh, it got me thinking about light, and so I thought I'd give you a few what I felt were interesting facts about light or uh, things that are related to light. In 1959, England passed a law stating that if your room, wherever you were, was bathed in natural sunlight for 20 years or more, then no one could build anything in front of that to hinder that sunlight coming into your room. How about that? Isn't that something? Queen Elizabeth was all over it. Uh, another thing, Clifton's Cafeteria. If you're from the L.A. area, you're certainly familiar with that. Clifton's Cafeteria, founded in 1935. Uh, this particular one, which was their second store, their first one, uh, our cafeteria, the first one uh, burned down, was remodeled in 2012. And they discovered behind a wall a neon sign that had been burning for 77 years. They finally turned it off. They turned it on during the Great Depression, walled it up, and never knew... I remembered that it was there. Some of you have perhaps been to Jiffy Lube, and you wonder, where in the world did they get the name Jiffy Lube? Well, and if you're talking about that you're going to be somewhere in a Jiff, or it'll just be a Jiffy, uh, those of you who are in mathematics, you've already got this, but a Jiffy is literally a measurement of the time that it takes light to travel one centimeter in a vacuum. Who knew? And for those of you who were wondering, that's about 33 picoseconds. A picosecond is about a trillionth of a second. So, Oh, and, and something that's probably common to most of you, certainly common to me, in fact it's irritating, is if you find yourself with a tickle in your nose when you're faced with a bright light, uh, that is called the photic sneeze reflex. And it occurs because somehow or another bright lights cause our brain wires to get 
cross, according to neurologists, and we sneeze. Now, I heard, I tried this last night, and I was almost successful, but not quite. Uh, totally unrelated to light. But when you sneeze, you cannot sneeze, really sneeze, without closing your eyes, at least for a brief instant. I thought that was fascinating. In some countries, such as Japan and Scotland, the street lights at night switch to blue. According to the research, crime and uh, you know the, the bad things that people do at night uh, ha- are lowered, uh, to include suicide, because it uh, turns out that blue light has a calming effect on people. And finally, just one last thing that I thought was really interesting, and that is that we are bioluminescent. Who knew? Like a jellyfish or a a firefly. Uh, We glow, but our problem is not that... It's not that we're not glowing. It's that our eyes aren't equipped to see it. Uh, And so, uh, by the way... That we 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 wonder how God sees us. We're these glowing creatures, you know, uh, running around and created in His image. But we see in Genesis that it's God's very speech that ushers in light, and that light, when He speaks into being, the light that we have, so that we can see physically, is also true and accurate in terms of the heart and the mind. Uh, Psalms develops this concept well as God's word is described as a lamp to our feet. Light's a metaphor for uh, sight, truth, knowledge, wisdom. Conversely, darkness indicates falsehood, ignorance, and blindness. So light can serve different purposes. But even more, today we're going to look at light the light that came into the world to show us our sinfulness and a way to salvation. The light that brings us out of a darkness of sin and death and into his kingdom of light. As Zechariah prophesied, he came to give light to those, I believe Isaiah and repeated in Luke as well, to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. So follow along with me as I read in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, I don't know, just something about the text here. I don't know if you've ever even thought of this before, but the text would have flowed smoothly if John had skipped over verses 6 through 8. So, for example, in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
And then verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. But he didn't. He, he inserted something there, and he talked about a person. And the person one would think that he would immediately talk about was Jesus. But in fact, it was not Jesus. It was John the Baptist. In fact, John breaks the, into the text again in verse 15, that if you have an ESV, you'll note that the translators found this so jarring that they actually put it in parentheses. The, the, the question is, this is in, like it's inserted in here. As those who believe the Bible is true, our task is not to advise John how to write. <laughs> But to pause and ask, why did he put this here? Why, why is this here? Seemingly interrupting the flow of the text. We were basking in the glow of the eternality of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. In the next instant, we're pulled out of this Im- Im- unimaginable expanse of eternity and we're brought rapidly into time and space, and history, a man, a a place, a purpose, John the Baptist. And John doesn't uh, designate John the Baptist as a prophet like the other Gospels do. It's very interesting if you look how John treats uh, John the Baptist in the text. It's different from the others. It was simply as uh, John, another beloved of uh, Jesus as such, much as brothers would see each other. In fact, if you were at uh, Ted's uh, funeral on uh, Friday, you you could not have missed how uh, Ted uh, called uh, Chaplain Lieutenant Colonel Johnson, uh, Sergeant Johnson, up to two days prior to his heart attack, Sergeant Johnson. Why? Because that's who he was to him. It's, it, it speaks of a closeness that is special. And in this context, it's clear that John wanted to communicate something about the greatness of John the Baptist, the first prophet in 400 years, and the last Old Testament prophet ushering in the new covenant. John was offering John the Baptist due respect. One thing is is clear in this text. Second only to Jesus, John the Baptist was at the forefront of Uh, John's mind, so much so that he could not continue to discuss the light of the world without saying a word about John. Now, we'll have plenty of opportunities to speak of uh, John the Baptist. Still, there's a few things that we should note uh, just by way of developing who John the Baptist was. First, he's the only person in human history that we're told was filled with with the Holy Spirit while still in the mother's womb. That's a fascinating uh, notion when you, uh, when, you, when you think about that. His birth was miraculous in that his uh, parents were aged. We've heard the story uh, before. They were unable to conceive and it was announced by an angel. Uh, John is the fulfillment of Isaiah 40. Uh, Verse 3, a voice is calling, clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. And then in Malachi 3, behold, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. Another thing that we don't often think about, but which we need to, and which is 
likely at least in part why this is in the text. John the Baptist was an enormously influential figure in the early church. And there's plenty of evidence to suggest that John the Baptist was surrounded uh, by a movement that continued uh, not only after his death, but after the death of Jesus Christ and, and well on, in fact, in a very small area in Iraq to this day. As late as 20 years after the resurrection, 20 years, uh, we see in Acts 18 and 19, we learn there are seven other uh, disciples who were following the Lord, but they only knew John. And, and we find that Apollos spoke and taught the things of the Lord accurately. However, he only knew the baptism of John. This is well after the resurrection. And so John had this enormous uh, following. And it seems clear that John, the writer, knows the danger of, of uh, followers holding on to an influential figure like John the Baptist. So uh, he makes some things very clear right at the very beginning here. And that while John the Baptist is significant, I mean, Jesus said that he was the greatest born among women, you, you know, which, which means all of us. And so John wanted his readers to know that while uh, Jesus was in the beginning, John had a beginning. While Jesus was the Word, John bore witness to the Word. And while Jesus was God, John was sent from God. So he makes these distinctions right there. It's in the text. And he says in uh, uh, John uh, 1, 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, true here means, of course, uh, genuine, not counterfeit. And so the question that, uh, that I ask immediately when I see something like this is how in the world does Jesus coming into the world enlighten every man, every person? How in the world does that happen and when it's crystal clear that not all are enlightened. Well, part of it, I think we are able to understand that the language here is, is very clear that it's, it's, it's the, the shedding of light that makes something visible. So, uh, the best explanation is that a light was uh, shown so that everything became visible. It's not referring to an inner light, although it possibly could, but to the light that came to the world through the incarnation as a revealer of truth. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul tells us that the light of the gospel reveals the glory of God, and that glory is found in the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, if you want to know what God is like, as Jesus himself tells the disciples, look at me, look at Jesus Christ. You want to know how he acts, how he feels? Look at Christ, look to the gospel, and it will illuminate the face of Christ. And without the gospel, we have no light. We live away from the presence of God. We would be unable to see who we are and where we fit into this world. We would just simply stumble around, as I do every morning. <laughs> When I get up, I don't turn on the lights. Most of the time, I can handle that quite 
easily, but sometimes not as much. But when the light of the gospel shines in our hearts, it gives us the knowledge of the glory of a God about who God is and what he wants for us. And it says clearly that no one is deprived of this light, that God has revealed himself to all people through Jesus Christ. It shines on everyone. And yet, it does something. This light does something that I can't think of a really good uh, analogy. I guess the closest I, I come to it is that uh, if you turn on the light in your kitchen occasionally at night, uh, you'll see things scurry out of the way. <laughs> so some of us, not to compare us to those things, but some of us, when the light shines on us, we run. We head to the hills. We don't want anything to do with it. Others, when we see the light, and I was a runner. I got to tell you, I was a, uh, I, I definitely, I didn't. Uh, want anything to do with the light, but at some point, the light changed from a thing of revealing my uh, sinfulness and my ugliness and my inability or even, honestly, unwillingness to please the God that I didn't even believe existed to something that allowed me to understand that this light was for healing. It was for uh, salvation and and we see this responses these both of these responses in one ten and where it it talks about uh, the world he he was in the world, and the world here cosmos it can mean uh, the universe it can mean the earth, but what it means is the world of humanity, which is now in disobedience to God and under the rulership of Satan. And the failure to recognize, uh, to, that is to know him and God's nature, was not because it was hidden. It was not hidden. It was because of our blindness caused by sin. In some ways, verse 11 is one of the sad... There are a lot of sad verses in the Bible. This is a profoundly sad verse to me. He was in the world. I mean, think about this. He created the world. It was his creation. He, he made this. He entered into this world. This world that he created, this world that he made, that he loved so much, he entered into it, and yet the world did not know him. He went to his people, the nation of Israel, but they as a whole rejected him and the revelation that was sent through him by uh, the, the Father. Isaiah had prophesied this. We, we looked at this before Christmas in Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? There's an interesting little wordplay here. In, in Greek, he came to his own, which is neuter, uh, grammatically, and the second one is masculine. In other words, what it means, he came to his own creation. He came to his own land, his own people. He, uh, not, he came to what was rightfully his, and yet his own, that is, brothers and sisters, uh, did not uh, accept him. They did not know, they did not know him. Why? Because he wasn't, honestly, 
I, I wish there was a way that we could separate our hearts and minds about our beliefs and what the scriptures teach us about the way to live in this world in politics. And the truth is it was a political thing that got uh, them, them in trouble because they wanted a political messiah. They did not want a messiah. They did not want a, anything that was a spiritual. What they wanted was a conqueror. They wanted a political leader to come in to overthrow the uh, Roman yoke. And uh, they didn't see a need for a savior for sin. They saw it as a political issue. And so when he came, in the form that he came, meek and lowly, uh, they, they really disowned him. They didn't want anything to do with him. And this shows us the terrible tragedy of sin and the wickedness of the human heart. So instead of when we see the light shined on us through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, instead of, of uh, uh, basking in that, what we do is say, someone turn off the light. Which is, oh, by the way, why some people stop going to church or stop listening to Christian radio. That's what they're doing. They're saying, turn off the light. I don't want to hear it. So don't be surprised when people respond negatively to your witness to Christ. Because why? People still love the darkness. But not all reject him. In 12 and 13, it says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So verse 12 tells us that unbelief is in fact not universal. There are those who will believe. Some will accept the invitation of Jesus Christ to look to him for salvation and the sacrifice for sin. And to those, he gives the right to become children of God. Now, your version may read somewhat differently. I particularly like the notion of the right to become children of a God. Some of your versions may use the word power, and power is certainly an appropriate uh, translation, but it's not because that power is wrong uh, as a translation. It's because the meaning of what that word power meant uh, many years ago has changed through the years. What it means is the power of choice or the authority to do something, uh, the power of authority, particularly as it relates to a right or privilege. So there's a right that's here. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big rights guy. Uh, I, uh, I mean, I, I'm certainly for human rights and that sort of thing. But I, you know, when I see someone, that's my right, that's my right, I'm, th- I'm going, you know what? You need to maybe stand aside a little bit. But this is very clear. This is a right that he gives. Second, children is more accurate than, not maybe more accurate, but more appropriate than sons. Sons is, in fact, accurate, but it em- emphasizes the maleness over the child. This word here is very specifically children. Children. And what you have is, is the point 
that I believe that John is making. People are not naturally children of God. Now, we are all God's children by virtue of creation. But we are not God's children unless his children, his technon, unless we have been born again. We see more about this, of course, in John 3. So John says that when we receive Christ or believe in him, he gives us the right, the authority to become children of God. That right, that notion of a legitimate claim, it's much like a birth certificate uh, would uh, demonstrate that you're the child of your, you know, your natural parents. The fact that those who believe become children of God means that all people are not God's children in this sense. To become God's child requires a spiritual new birth. Now John further defined this believing in his name. And that refers to uh, Jesus in his person as the eternal word made flesh. It refers to his work on the cross as the substitute for our sin. Believing in his name means that we stop believing in ours. We stop believing in another. We stop believing in our merits or another merit except for the merit of Jesus Christ as a way to approach God. It means that we stand before God, our only hope for heaven, not our good works, but that Jesus died for our sins. What kind of, what a family that we're in, involved with here. I mean, maybe you've uh, daydreamed. I don't know what your daydreams are. Maybe your daydreams are to be, you know, part of a wealthy family. I know I've, I'm, as of even yesterday, I was still watching these Christmas specials uh, where somehow or another uh, the, the, the prince and the, uh, the, what would you call the commoner, uh, usually American commoner, somehow uh, uh, they, they marry. And, and you, so you have all of this, uh, you have all of this wealth and all of these trappings. Maybe you've dreamed of that. Or maybe you're more like me, where you've dreamed just of having a, a mom and a dad, or a parent who cared, in, uh, in, a, in a home and a family where you felt loved and cherished. I don't know what your dream is, but I'll tell you this, whatever it is, that's what you receive when you enter the kingdom of God. All of that and more. In First John 3, uh, one, the apostle, he really, he just exclaims, see, see how great the love, love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. What an incredible privilege we have. Finally, in, in uh, verse 13, it's a description of uh, verse uh, 12. Those who believe and become children uh, of, of God. They were born, but it wasn't a natural birth. Um, blood uh, refers to human ancestry. So if you're in genealogy, you, you get this, and as, as, I, as I am. Or the will of the flesh. Now, so he talks about three things. Or the will of man. So there are three things here 
that being born into the family of God is not. The first is blood. In other words, because your mom and dad were Christian does not mean that you are. God does not have any grandchildren. You are either the child of God or you are not in his family. It is not of blood. Secondly, it is not of the will of the flesh. What that means, it's not the will of a mom and dad, a father and a mother saying, let us have a child. And I think that's uh, very interesting in the context of who? Of who he's talking about. Who, who is the immediate person in this context? It's John the Baptist. John the Baptist's birth was not of the will of the mother and the father. They had given up on that a long time ago. And the last one, it says the will of man. Essentially, more literally, a husband. In other words, the husband says, I'm going to have a child, as Abraham essentially did. And the answer is no. That's not how this works. The new birth does not come about by natural descent. It doesn't even come about by the will of the individuals it, uh, in, involved. It doesn't come about by that. It is not a natural birth. It is a supernatural birth. Maybe you can understand Nicodemus's confusion a little bit when John is, uh, writes to us that Jesus said, you must be born again. A person welcomes Jesus and responds in faith and obedience to him. And still, it's the Holy Spirit that is the cause of regeneration. Let me tell you exactly, so that you can understand this, because this is really important to understanding not just theology, but what John is telling us here. What did you have to do with your birth? Nothing. You did not have to do with what sex you were born as, what location you were born, what race you were, ethnic group, what cut, nothing. You had nothing to do with your birth and John is driving uh, that home. You can't take credit for your birth into the kingdom. This is something that the Holy Spirit of God does within you. Uh, we have this tendency. We will boast about anything. We will boast about the fact that we don't boast. We, uh, we just have to have it revolve in some way around us. You all know the, those people where the conversation has to come around to them. It's not, listen, it's not just that person that it may be irritating to you. If you reflect long enough, you'll find out that's maybe what you do as well, just not publicly. It it weird that way. And it's only through Jesus Christ breaking through into us that we find that all glory goes to God. None of it goes to us. Any glory that we have is a reflection of what Jesus Christ has done in our life. Believing in Christ is evidence that God has given us new life 
through the new birth. And that's a mystery we can't fully resolve here. Oh, by the way, I'm not even going to try, not in this message or even in future messages. That's something that each of us have to work. Suffice it to say that even though you didn't have anything to do with your birth, you still have to believe. It's your responsibility to believe that Jesus Christ died for you and that you trust him for your salvation. So now, essentially in a a nutshell, John has been showing us a witness to the light. He testified that Jesus is the light John the Baptist testified, was witness to that. And it is time. And and I think it's something that, especially at the beginning of the new year, uh, we need to reflect on. And that is, it's time to make a decision. Not a New Year's resolution. I, I don't think I've ever held one of those anyway. Maybe that says more about me than New Year's resolutions, but... But the, the point is this. The decision that we have to make is if we do not know him, today is the day to trust him as Savior. If we do know him, today is the day that we commit to walk in the way of the light. As witness, a verdict is required The light does not allow us the option. Not really. The question is, do we accept, do we reject? You know, physical light is absolutely required, necessary for all physical life on on this world. Uh, We had a plant. We just moved it here before the freezes and stuff. But this plant was a nuisance as far as I was concerned because we had it by the pool and in the evenings, it was great. You could walk right by it. But in the mornings, it was all leaned over. It was, it, why? Because it's drawn to the sun. So it follows, this plant follows the sun across the sky. What a beautiful picture. Where do you incline? I mean, as the sun crosses your life through his word, through other people, as you see Jesus Christ in your life, are you inclined towards him? Plants will never move away from the light. They cannot. They're drawn to it in the same way those of us who trust and love Jesus Christ for our life, we're simply drawn to him. We'll always tend towards him and those things in the word of God. And the unbeliever does just the opposite. And that shouldn't be a point of judgment for us, but of understanding that that person does not yet understand that the light is not ultimately for judgment. Although it can be, it is designed to turn the heart to Jesus Christ to give life through that light. Father, we we love light. It's an amazing thing. It's one of those things that I don't know the science of, but I hear all manner of things. It's it's particle, it's wave, it's probably some other things, and it's really fast. 
But Lord, one of the things that I do understand about light is that it tells the truth. It reveals that which actually is. And you as the light revealed to me that my heart, so corrupted by the fall, was only to find redemption and reconciliation through the death of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for me. And in that, in that understanding, that light, and the belief in that, you have given life. And for that, I am quite literally, eternally grateful. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.